0: This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket presenting sponsor, Amazon Music. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. 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 I'm Crystal D. Cameron with ASWIZ. And welcome to the ASWIZ monetization track. We'll be sponsoring this track all for the whole conference. And so without further ado, we're gonna start with podcasting monetization one-on-one, what it is and how to get started. I have the distinct pleasure of introducing my colleagues, Caitlin Van Horn of Simplecast and Justine JB of ASWIZ. Enjoy. Thank you, Crystal. I think I'm on. Mic check.
1: Can you all hear us? Wonderful. Um, Hi. Thank you all for coming out so early. I'm My caffeine is still kicking in, and I have to imagine that that is the same for all of you. So thanks. Hopefully we can perk you up a little bit. Um, as Crystal said, I'm Caitlin Van Horn, uh, I lead marketing for Simplecast, which is a podcast publishing distribution and analytics platform. Um, I've been with the company for about four years now. We work for we work with SiriusXM. That's wonderful, um, and I also work quite a bit with JB at
0: Adswiz. Hi, I'm JB at Adswiz. <laughs> What's an Adswiz, you say? Uh, Adswiz is an ad technology platform that serves publishers, podcasters, enterprise podcasters, advertisers. Um, as well, so we have a couple different things that we can get into it. Fancy acronyms like SSPs, DSPs, marketplaces, but we're probably gonna keep it pretty high level. So while Caitlin and I are sitting here with you, as she mentioned, uh, we are both independent subsidiaries of SiriusXM, so we're very, the pleasure of being sister companies, and we also work a lot together, and you'll start to kind of see this connection that we have between almost like a workflow, I guess you could say, of independent podcasters kind of working their way into more of maybe the larger, not larger, but the different monetization world there. Uh, So I'm gonna kick it back to Kaylin.
1: Um, And I just wanted to say before we get started, I'm so excited to be in Texas. I have a lot of family that lives here, although I'm from the East Coast. Um, So I wanted to shout out a really amazing local organization. They are the Trans Education Network of Texas. They're wonderful. They have helped me and my family so much. Thank you for the applause. Where are you? You're great. (laughs) And I encourage you to check them out. They're great. So the other note I have for you before we get started is, hold on a second. Um, You're going to see so much monetization content at Podcast Movement. um, And I'm going to let you in on a little secret why that is. Um, Because when you advertise, that makes us money. (laughs) It also makes you money. And it also makes the people you're advertising for money. But we're sponsors, and so with events like this, we get to set some of what is talked about. So to be really honest with you, we're gonna talk about monetization. So if you feel like you are the only person in this room who has not monetized and you don't know what you're doing, that's okay. And more than that, you don't, oops, yeah. More than that, you don't have to monetize. Um, What you do with your podcast is up to you. It's your show. If you're still figuring out your workflow, if you're not exactly sure of the format, if you're just in podcasting for the love of the game, that's amazing. And we're so glad you're here. If you want to learn about monetization, we'll talk you through it. But this is really like a no pressure. Let's chat it out. We have apparently 45 minutes, which we will not use. There will be a lot of time for Q&As. And JB and I will be around. So we're happy to talk about it. But ultimately, if you're like, this monetization stuff isn't for me. That's cool. Okay, now we'll really get started. So, how can podcasts be monetized? Um, If you've been sort of dabbling in this space, if you've been listening around, you have probably heard this big 10K listeners number. Now that's 10K unique listeners a month, and that is what you need to do to monetize. Or you may have heard how Hostred is the only way. You might not know what DAI is, and at this point you're too afraid to ask. Don't worry about any of that. JB will tell you what <laughs> DAI is. <laughs> um, I will tell you, you don't need 10K listeners. You don't have to only do host read. All right. So these, in my opinion, are the two hardest ways to monetize your show. The first one is cro- is crowdfunding. Ooh. Um, I'm not a podcaster. My mic technique isn't great. Um, so the first one is crowdfunding. I see most podcasters use this when they're just getting started with their show. They can use platforms like Indiegogo, Kickstarter, or Seed&Spark, and and yeah, really, your podcast doesn't need to exist before it gets monetized. Um, Now most of the time when you see these, it will be for things like, oh, we need a sound editor so we need to raise money so our show can be edited, or we have actors in our show and we need to pay them. However, I really want to make the argument that when you are crowdfunding, yes, that is monetizing your show, because you are the creator, and you should be paying yourself. Um, You are artists, and unfortunately, we live in a world that devalues art quite a bit. So when you are crowdfunding, and when you're looking at your team and trying to take care of all of that, I also want you to think about taking care of you. And that means paying yourself out of your crowdfunding. Just for an example, I will shout out Unseen. It's an anthology fiction podcast show. They crowdfunded their uh, initial season. Their initial goal was 30K. Uh, They built stretch goals where they would announce new actors. They hit 60K. They actually hit 30K in their first day. Now, bear in mind, these are kind of established creators. They did Wolf 359. Yeah, I'm very biased. Um, However, It's possible, you can crowdfund. Um, There are also other shows like Primordial Deep from the wonderful Jordan Cobb, who's around. If you see her, she's amazing. Um, She crowdfunded her initial season too. Um, If you like crowdfunding and you would like to continue doing that, you can do things like subscriptions and memberships. Um, You probably know about Patreon. There's a wonderful Patreon presentation happening later today. I suggest you go to it if you're interested in that. Um, You can also use things like Substack, and I'm sure Patreon has quite a few competitors at this point, so there are options out there for you. Basically, these subscriptions and memberships, you offer some additional content or a level of community, um, and people who are fans of your show will pay to have access to that. Um, Now, why do I say these two are some of the hardest? Well, because you have to create, in addition to your podcast, You also have to create, oh, I don't know, social assets, um, a video for your Indiegogo page. You have to do maybe a monthly listening party with your subscribers and your members. Um, And if you're hearing me say this and saying, Caitlin, that sounds really cool, awesome. You should absolutely do it, because I have seen people who crowdfund and do subscriptions, and they build really beautiful, thriving communities in private Facebook groups. in private Patreon communities. Um, So if you are especially making a podcast in a space that has a lot of enthusiasts or a lot of fans, if you're doing like an F1 podcast, um, these are the situations in which you can cultivate both a community and recurring revenue. How much recurring revenue from subscriptions and memberships, you may ask? Uh, Well, podcasting is an aspirational medium, so this is from Graphtreon, and if you, can't, if you can't see it, I apologize, um, but these are the top shows on Patreon, the top podcasts on Patreon right now. Um, if you look at the first one, that's True Crime Obsessed, they have 48,729 patrons. Those are people who are paying at least $1 a month to listen to the show and to support the creators. Now, some of these people have made their revenue actually public. So if you look at the second, that's the Tim Dillon Show, about 43K supporters, $222,000 a month, casual. Like I said, this is aspirational. Um, Do I think everyone in this room is suddenly going to make $160,000 on Patreon? Probably not. Do I think that you will be able to cover, for instance, your sound editing and maybe pay yourself a salary? Yes, I do. Um, one of my favorite podcasts is the Blind Boy Boat Club podcast in Ireland. Um, and the creator is able to have his full-time job be the podcast um, because he is supported by people who want to support him. And if, that's, if there's one thing we know about podcasts, it's that the fans are the most loyal in the entire world. And this really helps leverage that. All right, there's more. Uh, events and merchandise. Um, so in a past life. I was an event producer. I can tell you, this is hard. Um, Event production is hard. What I can also tell you is that when you think small, when you think local, and when you think unconventional venues, those costs associated come down real fast. Maybe you're not putting on a show at the Bell House and you're not selling out BAM. Sorry, these are both Brooklyn venues, which is where I'm from. Um, But you can find a bar with a private back room, and you can do that. And in that way, you both start building up that extra content, which is in real life, um, and you get to, again, meet with your community. The second part, which is merchandising. Now, there are a lot of different companies that will help you do this, and a lot of them are here, so I won't go into it really hard. But what I will tell you, from everyone I've spoken to um, who talks about merchandising, the first thing is wait. Um, There are a lot of upfront costs associated with creating your own merch. So you probably wanna wait until you have a really loyal audience who wants to buy your tote bags, which there are a lot of us. I have so many podcasting tote bags. Um, So you probably wanna wait. And then for for every person that is asking you for merch, there's really only like a quarter of a person who will actually buy the merch. So you do have to build in a little bit of an attrition rate when you're like placing your bulk order from Sticker Ninja. Um, so that is, that's, that's events and merchandising. They're tough, um, but they can be really rewarding. I know, so I just work for a silly little tech company, but every once in a while I see people walking around with our tote bags, and I'm like, the warm feeling, that's great. Um, if that warm feeling was also attached to like 15 extra dollars in my pocket, I am sure it would feel even better. Um, Okay, now on to two things that when I talk about them, people ask, does that even count as monetizing? Um, Yeah, it does. If you make money, it counts. Um, So affiliate programs. Um, First I will say, hi, Simplecast has an affiliate program. If you like Simplecast, find me, let's talk about it. I'd love to give you some money. Um, Backing up for a second. Affiliate programs. um, Caitlin's just throwing
0: money at people.
1: It's my favorite thing, honestly. Um, I I love teaching people how to make money, and I love giving money to independent podcasters. It's the best. So, anyway, affiliate programs. Um, If you have something and you like it, talk about it. There are a lot of companies that do things like the microphone you use, I don't know, the podcast hosting company you use, the software that you use to edit the studio where you record. All of these places may have affiliate programs where if you bring in customers, you get either a commission, it can be a flat rate, or you get a percentage of the sale. Um, And again, what we know from podcast advertising, which affiliate programs and advertising are different, although the line does get a little blurred sometimes. What we know from advertising and studies around podcast advertisement is that Podcast listeners are so loyal. And when they hear ads and when they hear affiliate programs, they are more likely to buy those than any other advertising medium. Um, So you have a lot of power. And affiliate programs can help you harness that power. Um, And they require a lot less upfront content building than some of these other places that we're talking about. uh, Or sorry, some of these other methods that we're talking about do. Last one. Leads, classes, and networking. Now, I put all three of these together because do they really count as as monetizing? Up front, they're not gonna make you any money. However, the example I'll give is in nonprofits. So I've spoken to a lot of creators who create podcasts for nonprofits, and I used to work for the National Network of Abortion Funds, so I love nonprofits, and I love talking about them. And they will ask me, well, should we start putting ads in our podcast? And I'm like, what's your podcast trying to do? Is it a source of income for you? Because if that's the case, yeah. If you're looking for something like sustaining donors or institutional donors, or you really want to boost the profile of your managing or your uh, director, then no. What you should be doing is cultivating a podcast that can either engage your donors, or can find new donors for you, or can boost the profile of that director so that you get more national news coverage and awareness. These things are all ultimately helping your bottom line. Are they the sort of direct revenue that we think of when we think of podcast monetization? No. But what's more valuable to you? Sorry, I'm short, so I can't actually see my notes. There we go. Uh, yeah so ultimately thinking about what has the most value to you is it the you know fifty dollars a month you might get when you're first starting out with patreon or the ads that JP will talk about or is it finding someone who is a foundational donor and can give you sustaining recurring donations we do the same thing with universities it's like they're like do should we be monetizing and I'm like Probably not. You should maybe be trying to tailor your content so that it finds new people to enroll. Um, so, would you think of that as monetization? Probably not. But again, it's helping your bottom line. So, this is sort of a choose-your-own-adventure. Um, and I guess the the real takeaway here, besides these methods, is to think about what you're trying to accomplish with your podcast as a whole and how monetization fits into that. Because, like I said you don't have to monetize. You, you can network, you can lead classes about a type of expertise you have now that you've been podcasting, or you can find leads for your business. Again, one of my favorite podcasts in the entire world is this guy who does, um, he's a contractor, and he talks you through different DIY home projects. I'm a renter, I need all the help I can get. So I listen to this guy all the time. He's based in South Florida. If I was based in South Florida and I suddenly, like, couldn't install my towel rolls because I didn't have the right drill bit, yes, I would absolutely be calling him and contracting him to come do it for me. Um, So if you have a situation like that where you're trying to bolster a small business, think about where you actually want your money to come from because me listening to his podcast would probably not give him a ton of money from his ad, but me calling him into my house to install my towel bar probably would. Okay. Now I'm gonna kick it over to JB. So, thank you, before that, I have a
0: silly question. Yeah? I like to throw questions at her. Uh, She likes to throw money, I like to throw questions. Clearly we're gonna have, somebody's gonna have more friends than the other. So I do as a as a, a as a patron a lot of like the crowdsourcing or funding for like music artists that I like. And yeah. a lot of the time when they're trying to like start an album or anything like that, they will offer merchandise as a kind of a perk. Yep. Do you see that a lot too? Is we see this okay.
1: a lot. And again, like not to get too deep into it, but you gotta look at your profit margins because if you are Getting a patron who's spending $15 to support your show—that's wonderful. If you are sending them out, you know, $7.50 plus shipping worth of swag, <laughs> yeah. ooh, you're not—you're not breaking as well as you could, right? Like you're making money, but you—you yeah. you should be pretty careful of the way that you choose to handle those rewards. Yeah.
0: Thank you. So for me, I'm going to be talking about ads, but I would love to get a gauge of the room. This also helps me understand kind of how I'm going to do the content. So with a show of hands, raise your hand if you identify as a podcaster. (laughs) All right, this is going to be great. Uh, What are the rest of
1: you doing here? (laughs)
0: Um, Raise your hand if you identify as like maybe on the business side of like uh, enterprise publisher or podcaster.
1: Oh, there okay. we go, and we
0: have overlap. This is fantastic. Raise your hand if you are an advertiser, whether you're at a brand or an agency. Hi, guys. <laughs> okay, this is good. I have the right content. Fantastic. Um, oh, clicker. Okay, thank you. Probably not the red button. <laughs> so let me go back a second. Ah, red goes back, green goes forward. So what I'm going to do, and I'm going to try to do in bite sizes, is talk about three things. I'm going to talk about the ad creative, also referenced as an asset. I'm going to talk about the ad delivery. I'm also going to talk about ad transaction. And again, trying to keep it pretty high level. So at a very basic level, there are two types of podcast ads, right? There's a host read. I mean, do I really need to go into host reads? You might. Okay, so host reds are the most prevalent and they work for many reasons. We we're gonna talk about these many reasons. Coincidentally, for each of the different audiences, I asked you guys to identify yourselves as. So, for the podcaster, the host red um, is, is great. It's a low barrier of entry, right? The production of the ad is not very different from the production of the actual podcast. So, integrating that into there is, is a low barrier of entry. For the listener, It's seamless, right? It's the same voice, kind of going from ad to content. It's very natural. Um, There's a trust factor involved. I would say a large majority of the time that the podcaster is endorsing a product. It's a product that they actually stand um, behind and believe in. And then for the advertiser, when their ad is host-read, again, it's that native feeling, so a lot of repetition of what we talked about before, the trust factor, uh, listen-through rates, which we may or may not talk about a little bit more, um, are perceived as being a lot higher as well. Spoiler alert, no matter what type of ad you have, a listen-through rate on podcast is like 98, 99%. So that is host-read. The other type of ad is produced. So this is something that is pre-recorded, right? It often has music or sound effects. These are ads that you're used to kind of hearing in like uh, streaming or radio. This usually comes from the advertiser, which can be the brand or the agency that the brand is representing um, who create it. And a lot of these are kind of brand awareness or seasonal promotions. So that's the creative. Now, I'm jumping ahead, but this is also a good segue, right? So, when you think about these two types of ads produced, which are predominantly DAI and baked in, kind of what's the transition? I remember doing a very similar session as this last year, and we were like at that 2020 number, right? Where it was kind of that 67%, which was more than the 50% barrier, where we were like, that's astronomical. We've never seen more than 50%. This year, we're looking at 84%. Oh my
1: now, God.
0: I know, but bear in mind, this content comes from an organization called the IAB. Is any, you guys familiar with the IAB? Okay, for those who are not, it is a consortium that is made up of media uh, companies, of technology providers, of agencies and brands, all with kind of the goal to come together and, um, I would say like set industry standards. When you look back at like, you know, the view through rates when ad fraud was massive on display, the IAB and all of its members came together kind of set standards on what is viewability. So their, their drive is to kind of help the overall ecosystem. They recently started doing a podcast ad revenue uh, report and I think it's been three years exactly. Uh, so the data that comes from this report and I kind of want to like level set here is aggregated from self-reported publishers. So we don't know who it all is, but you can kind of connect two and two with sponsors and people who have participated in the past. This is data that's coming from larger, like what I reference as enterprise podcasters. It's like NPR, Wondery, Cumulus, Spotify. I think this might have been Okay, so anyways, all this data is in here as well. So we saw a massive jump this year, but again, trying to level set. This is from larger publishers who are a little bit more equipped with systems to kind of deliver DAI. On the independent side, right? Yeah, so
1: I do wanna just clarify something here because podcast myth-busting is like my favorite thing to do. There's a lot of bad info out there. Um, so a lot of times I see podcast creators and they say, oh, I don't want to do any DAI. I don't want to do any dynamic stuff. I only want baked in. And I'm like, are you sure about that? Because a lot of times people assume that a host read ad. So reading with my voice that my listeners love is always baked in. And that is not the case. You can do a programmatic host read which is gorgeous. Um, But so you do not have to sacrifice your literal voice and the trust you have with your audience um, to use dynamic audio insertion. These are tools that are available to you and you don't have to make the sacrifices. I think a lot of people think they have to.
0: Yep. Back to you. Yeah, and the other thing too, I think, Maybe, I don't even know what month this is. In May, we were talking about, there is no report like this for independent podcasters. Um, there's there's a lot of them. And to aggregate a lot of that data is challenging. But I would maybe say best guesstimate is, what, 50% or yeah, more I, still baked in?
1: I would say more are yeah. baked in. Because with an independent podcast, like we said, the production is very similar to what you're actually doing with your show. Um, we also... We see so many podcast creators starting with baked-in ads because getting access to technology to do dynamic audio insertion costs money, and sometimes they don't have it when they're starting out. What I am so excited to tell you—Are you, you going to do it? I'm going to do it. You're going
0: to do it. I'm just going to do it. All
1: right. I lead marketing at Simplecast, so I'm allowed to do a soft launch <laughs> if I want to. Um, I'm so sorry to our product team. Um, so. A lot of independent podcast creators will start baking in their podcasts. That means their earlier episodes have baked-in ads. Um, What we will be launching soon, and I'm happy to talk to you about this, is baked-in ad replacement, which means you get to go in, look at your old episodes, say, oh, that's a baked-in ad, put markers in, and then swap in dynamic content. That's really cool because of two things. It means that your back catalog is now making you money where it previously wasn't. So more money for independent podcasters. And we did a report on um, some of the fastest growing genres that we could see in podcasting um, between last year and the year before. And the fastest growth we saw was in fiction education and true crime. So I love these because a lot of them, you don't start with the, fir- with the latest episode. You start with the earliest one. So your first episode, which has the highest probability of having a baked in ad, is actually your most valuable. So now you can pop that baked in ad out and start making a ton of money from perhaps a host read, perhaps a produced dynamically inserted ad, and that is Awesome, I'm so excited about unlocking all of these independent podcast creators' back catalogs.
0: I'm done now, All right, spiel over. All right, other, other data to support that, um, there was another report that we, we like reports, we like throwing money at people, you name it. She likes cats. <laughs> um, another report that we did too was, uh, coincidentally called Podcast Trends Report. I know, surprising. Uh, but it was accumulation of data uh, from a bunch of sister companies, so Simplecast, AdsWiz, and SXM Media, and call, kind of all different perspectives. But one of the things that SXM Media found was that the listener, the difference between like what they call an OG listener and a new listener, new listeners are like totally open to produced ads and kind of don't even know the difference. So Again, that's that. The other point I want to make that Caitlin pointed out too, what I hope you're trying to like you'll start to see here is we're trying to show like a trajectory, right? On how to how to do this, how to monetize. It isn't like just jump right into DAI, like there's baby steps, there's ways of kind of getting through that. So hopefully you'll see that trend as we go through. Okay. (laughs) Of course, very tangential. Uh, The next thing I'm gonna be talking about is the delivery, so how the ad actually gets to the listener. So there's the baked in, which we talked about, which I think, Caitlin, let me just go through my notes, we talked about, it could be host read, or it could be produced, but it gets stitched in, as Caitlin talked about, this is great, you're doing all this for me, right? When the listener accesses the downloads, comes in one file, okay, targeting around this. So targeting is kind of identifying who's getting the ad. Generally speaking, and this is a very high like general statement, it's around genres, ep- uh, shows, and maybe episodes um, at the most. So that is baked in at Inchersen, which we talked about, which is a way that it gets into there. So just kind of riff on what Kayla had said when you think about the doing your back catalog. So what happens when the listener accesses, right? The listener kind of clicks play, which means download, or it could mean streamed, what's happening on the back end when it's through ad insertion is a call, you see my air quotes with my microphone and my little ticker here? Uh, (laughs) Thank you. A call is being made to an ad server. And we'll talk about what an ad server is and how it works a little bit later. But there, parameters can be different. Right? You have a little bit more robust beyond kind of genre and episode. They can be things like I wish you could see my notes right now. I literally have a picture of a clock. I've got a picture of a headphone. This is how you shorthand your notes. There's a sun? There's a sun. Oh, weather. Okay. Ah, so weather's tricky, but. So it could be time of day, right? It could be location. Location could be like point of interest, like a stadium. Um, It could be actually where you're at by longitude latitude. There's also like listener context. There's a way of being able to identify if the person listening to the podcast is listening on their headphones, or through smart speaker, right? So you start to think about the different ways that an ad can be delivered there, or even the different ways that maybe the person is listening to it. So if they're on a headphone, Maybe they're walking. Maybe they're you know doing other things like riding the subway. You can also even kind of from a targeter, a targeting parameter, making up words. A targeting parameters could be like around download or streamed, and streamed is a nuanced word we can talk about later. Um, and again, the important thing that Caitlin said is when they are baked in, they can get stale. Right. They're seasonal promotions, um, so this really opens up more inventory and makes it more relevant, not only for um, the advertiser, but for the listener as well. That is delivery. Now we're going to talk about the transaction. So how ads are bought and sold. So I'm going to go through three ways, and these, again, aren't the only three ways, but this is kind of very high-level three ways. Um, direct sales. This is a widely known term. does what it says on the tin. Um, and, but there's two ways that this can kind of be done. One is via the host. So this transaction happens between the content owner. So this could be a ho- uh, yeah a podcaster. Um, and the way that it's um, done is through an I.O., an insertion order, right? So there's a certain amount of agreement, agreement in terms. So the terms can be kind of around like, you know, if you're going directly to the host, you kind of have an idea who the audience is already. Um, but there are other things like, how much is it going to cost? How much am I going to pay? Am I paying for a full sponsorship? right? Is that a flat rate? Is the sponsorship like on one show? Is it on two shows? Um, is it just for one month or is it for three months? Those types of things. Um, you can also even like purchase like I just want to do the pre-roll right So there's lots of different ways that this transaction can go. Um, and then the host then references that iO on how to deliver, which is kind of all the things that we talked about. The second way of doing direct sales is via the publisher. And again, this word, play the game of semantics, but the way I'm kind of referencing it is more as like an enterprise publisher. So these can happen two ways. It can be host-read or it can be DAI, and we're now, now, now all fantastic experts at DAI. The I.O. contains all the same information, right? Um, it's paid for generally by impressions and downloads. Um, but the difference is there's an adops team right, on that end, who's taking that I.O. and entering it into a campaign management system, which is tied to an ad server. That campaign management system can then include all of those things we talked about, like all those targeting parameters. Weather, age, demo, like listening context. And it kind of sets up like a, a set of rules. So when that ad call is made, if you know, they match a certain amount of criteria, then they can match it to the app. Right, so it's kind of like playing matchmaker within this campaign management system, and there's fun things like reporting and all that stuff like that. We we'll talk about later. Okay, the other way that the ads um, get bought and sold are programmatically. Is this a bad word? Can we say this word? Can we say programmatic? We will I say. It? Just kidding. <laughs> um, and programmatically, this is done via digital platforms. Right, uh, so. Same thing that we talked about, IOs, and think, well, not really IOs, so the same thing we talked about in regards to how we agree upon the way that an ad gets transacted, but the difference is that the negotiations are done on digital platforms. So there can be things like PMPs, which are also known as private marketplaces. Um, private marketplaces can be nuanced as well. There can be programmatic guaranteed private marketplaces. There's also public or open marketplaces. Um, these, generally speaking, again, not always, are bought by audience. So you're not necessarily buying like a show or like an episode, you're buying an audience, and then think about how much that, again, opens things up. So you could have certain criteria for your audience, it's age, it's demo, maybe they like these genres, maybe they're in the market to buy a car or a mattress, and then it can be kind of matched, again, that matchmaking that happens to other shows outside of what, it, what it might have been via directly a host or directly on a show. Uh, programmatically, bidding may or may not occur. It's not kind of a necessary thing. They're not, They're not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mutually exclusive? Uh, so that on a very, very high level is kind of what, what I wanted to cover. We have lots of time. Again, we're short. We love Q&A. Okay, we're short. So I think we're gonna do our little closing thing, and then we're gonna open up to questions. So Caitlin's gonna give her closing statements. <laughs> Uh, My
1: first closing statement is that there is a BIPOC networking happy hour. happening on Thursday, please find it in the app. It's really a wonderful event that I have been so happy to put on with the BIPOC Podcast Creators Network for I think three podcast movements now. We're doing a three-peat. There are snacks, there are drinks, all are welcome. Uh, Last bit, Um, independent podcast creators, your voices are so valuable. You are the heart and soul of this industry and I want you to get paid for what you're doing. All of the exciting things that are happening in like big deal enterprise podcasts happened with indies first. This is where the innovation happens. This is where the cre- the real creativity happens. This is like the, you are all the blueprint. Um, and I don't want you to get scared or feel intimidated or like monetization is beyond you or maybe monetization is next year. And that especially goes for our like, podcasters of color and our, our women podcasters because the industry doesn't value the, way, value the way that you should. And sometimes there's some like internalized stuff in there too. So find me, let's talk about it. I wanna help you get paid.
0: There she is, throwing money again. Um, my closing thing would be, as as somebody who's worked in ad tech for a very long time, um, and finally moving my way over into audio where my heart has been, um, it's been a different experience, and I feel like the thought of dynamic ad insertion or programmatic is kind of like it's going to find and replace all. Absolutely not. Absolutely not, and if you recall when we talked about kind of what makes a host red so strong, like we gotta keep that. Like that's what makes this this format so unique and so powerful. And it isn't a find and replace all. It's kind of a, a mix and match and what works for you. Right? If you start to get larger, um, I mean, that's what automated host spreads is about, right? It's literally taking technology to automate a process that can be very manual for you, and then open up your demand sources. Like, by opening up demand sources, not only is it, I'm gonna take a, a book out of Caitlin's page, or a page out of your book. Okay, I said book out of your page. Take a page out of a book, it's gonna give you more money, right? You're gonna have more demand diversity. Also think about the listener right? By opening up your demand sources, you're also able to, like, make sure they're not getting the same car ad over and over again or the same, like, retirement fund things because I apparently get all those ads based on the content I listen to. It is, it is a marriage of both. It's finding what works best for you um, and also what works best for your audience. And again, kind of going back to what we mentioned before, it's a process. Like, it's not just dive right in. It's make your way through there, find what works, optimize, those kinds of things. So, I think that's it for me. Yeah.
1: Um, we're going to do some q and I'm going to ask you all to wait for the mic. I know there are some theater kids in here that are like, I don't need a mic. I need your mic. I got bad ears. Who's got a question? We got one coming too.
0: If we don't have the 10,000 listeners, how do we go about talking to people about getting advertising, and if you have like a real small fan base.
1: Yeah, Um, I love small fan bases. I love niches. Um, I would say you have to think about what your listener wants. Um, So let's say you are a a tabletop role-playing game, right? Um, And you have a small audience, but you can look at your analytics and see that, okay, you're based in St. Paul, a lot of them are too time to start hitting up your local D&D stores, your game stores, upcoming conventions, maybe you can expo there, um, but asking like, hey, do you wanna advertise on my podcast? If there is something like a Comic Con in your area that's starting up, it's worth reaching out to them and their marketing department and saying, hi, do you wanna advertise on my podcast? I would say, talk about your listeners. Um, do you have a really active social channel? Um, because that shows listener engagement and listeners that are potentially gonna care a lot about your ads. Um, I will not name what podcast this is, but I was shown their media kit, which included three photos of tattoos that listeners had gotten about their podcast. And look, as someone who pays for advertisements, you show me that somebody tattooed your show on your body, I'm giving you money. I mean, the bar's low for me, but um, so yeah, like think about what makes your podcast special. And again, start local, start small, start unconventional. It's never just about your show. It's about what the listener of your show also
0: enjoys. Does that make sense? And I would say, too, to riff on that, so don't be afraid of the word media kit. Okay, Okay, a media kit could be an email with some bullet points, right? But again, like... Make a PowerPoint slide. If you wanna know the secret to marketing is Google search media kit, and like start to look at like templates and then you start to create your own, like what you want from it. Like, oh, I really like how they reference audience. Oh, like here's my listeners, those types of things. So Media Kit doesn't have to be crazy. I'll give
1: you another blanket statement here. Um, I went to school for Medieval Studies. I don't do that anymore. Everything I know how to do, I learned from Google and YouTube. So, you can do it too, um, and if you need resources, my email is caitlin, C-A-I-T-L-I-N, at simplecast.com. That's C-A-I-T-L-I-N, at simplecast.com. You got questions, or you need a really good article about a media kit, you just shoot me an email. Any other questions? Right back
0: there. Nope. Which one? Right there. I think that's Olive Green, the woman in Olive Green? Yes. Yes.
1: Hi ladies, whoa, hello. Um, Hi ladies, I'm an indie podcaster, fully monetized. Thank you so much for everything you had to say because it's a very hard journey. I have a question about um, ad placement because I've noticed I started my strategy a couple of years ago. I've noticed as I've consumed podcasts, the amount of ads and the placement in pre-roll, you know, mid-roll, all of that has kind of evolved. So what have you seen in terms of trends of where you're placing your ads strategically and where do you see that going? I can start with some basics. It's yeah. gonna then... be a two-parter for sure, yeah. so I'll let you go. Yeah, so um, conventional wisdom is that mid-roll is usually your best bet. People skip right through the intro and don't listen to the end, right? Um, so that's still true. Um, I will say I think post-rolls, if you have like the creative juice to make them work for you, can be really wonderful, um, provided that you put a little stinger after them. Um, so there was a podcast I was listening to, and. I'm so sorry, but I was not listening to the post roll ads, I know. Um, I hope they weren't sold on CPM because I wasn't giving it to them. But then one time I was doing dishes and I listened through the end and they had a listener call in section that I did not know happened. So they actually put their post roll right before the end and then put um, like listener engagement at the end. So all of their listeners who knew about this and knew that there was a call-in segment would listen through the end to every single episode to see if it was their call. Um, so if you can do something that like leverages your audience and makes them want to listen through the end, you can really make post roles work for you. Um, that's some ANIC data, so I will give it over to JB for.
0: Yeah, and I could probably pull some data. What I have is is pretty about a year or so old. But to kind of riff on that, what we've seen, kind of at the enterprise level, and again, understand we work with a lot of agencies and advertisers as well. So it's kind of helping them understand how they can leverage that as well. Um, So one is kind of a storytelling approach that we've seen. So we've seen like, and this might be a good way for you to sell it as well, is telling a story over like you know three to four ad breaks. So it could be, um, I don't even know how to give an example, but that's one way. So telling a story across three or four different ads. The other way is to kind of give a teaser of what's happening at the end. So I know uh, one specific large audio book company um, they've used them for super trailers. So what they've done is when they um, put in ads, they're like, stay tuned to the end to get a snippet of content from the next book or get you know, exclusive content from this. The other thing we've seen advertisers do as well is you know, stick around to the end for a promo code. Right, so there's ways of like infusing it in the beginning as well. I would say posterals probably. Okay, <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting the lasso sign, uh, but yeah, there's lots of different ways, and happy to talk to you talk to you about that later. Other questions? Sorry, we're gonna take this gentleman over here, and I'll see you.
1: Oh, oh we're wow. t- we're hey, time. we're gonna
0: be in the front. Come grab us; so we can answer yeah. questions. Uh, thank you guys so thank much for your time.